Hey guys, Dolly here. Joey and I are on vacation for two weeks, so here's an unlocked bonus episode from the Plum Radio Patreon. If you like it, and you've been listening for a while, consider supporting us for just $5 a month at patreon.com slash plumradio. Don't forget to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts because every review counts. It really helps our show grow and reach new audiences. Hope you enjoy this episode and send us your holes and blessings while we're taking a little break so we won't have to miss y'all too, too much. Hit us up at hi at plumradio.com and we'll be back with season two on Instagram Live on Sunday, August 2nd. You count. Three, two, one. Pretty good. Close enough, close enough. Okay, close enough. Welcome to our first ever subscribers-only episode of Plum Radio. I'm your host, Dolly Lee, and here's my co-host, Joey Yang. Hey everyone, how's it going? Thank you guys so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We know we wanted to give you guys some bonus episodes each month to give you a little bit of insight on how we made Plum Radio in this particular episode. This episode is called Come for the Boba, Stay for the Tea on a topic that we originally wanted to launch Plum Radio with. So the episode you're about to hear was recorded pre-pandemic. Joey was out in New York City visiting me in February. And over a long weekend, we really wanted to hash out what Plum Radio would sound like, what it would be like, what were the concepts we wanted to cover and what our voice would be. And we decided that we wanted to explain boba liberalism to set the stage for episodes to come. So on this bonus, this first bonus episode, we will be unpacking boba liberalism and what it means. Joey, when did you first hear about this term boba liberalism? Probably the first time I saw the term boba liberalism was on Twitter, and I saw it um, used to describe subtle Asian traits, the Facebook group. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, if you go on if you go on subtle Asian traits, I think a lot of what you see are memes, you know, feel good stories, stuff like that. Um, and a lot of the memes are around boba, and so boba is something that is is. Interesting because I didn't really grow up with boba, despite the fact that, you know, some of my family comes from Taiwan and boba was invented in Taiwan. But growing up in the Midwest, we didn't really have like places you could go to get boba. So seeing a lot of these memes kind of make make you feel like, oh, okay, well, this is part of like what the culture is supposed to be. But then when I when I started living in a place where there was boba, it was like, you know, even though we were in Houston, it's like boba still wasn't cheap. It wasn't something you could like, it wasn't like a substitute for like, you know, coffee or tea or anything. It was a treat. It was a special drink. So, you know, we, we thought about like, what does this mean to have boba be such a big part of our identity? What does it mean to have people rallying around a drink um, to serve as like a placeholder for their identity? Like if, if this is something that we're holding up for ourselves, something that's the culture of consumption, what does that say about us? And it turns out that when we dig into boba a little bit, it actually goes a lot deeper than that. It actually turns out to be like a really useful metaphor for the liberal politics that have gotten us into this mess today. You know, when I hear when I first heard that term boba liberalism, uh, so much of it was used actually to talk about Andrew Yang and his earlier campaign when he tried to run for president in 2019. You know, I think a lot of the issues about Andrew Yang for us Asian Americans is that there is celebration of representation, right? And then there's also, what are you actually representing? What are you leveraging for representation? And the problem with Andrew Yang is what he leverages is racist tropes about Asian Americans. Yep. Yep. 
I cringe every time I see a math hat. Yes, every single time I see anything math related. So boba liberalism points out this dichotomy where we celebrate representation in this very superficial way, in the same way that boba, the drink, the sugary drink, the beverage, is superficial. It's dessert, right? It's not the meat and potatoes of the discussion. In the same way that Andrew Yang he physically represented someone that was Asian. And so, yes, you can check off representation. And if that is all liberalism means to you, then, yeah, I guess that satisfies that. But when you go a little bit deeper, deeper un- beneath the T, you realize that he's throwing all Asians under the bus. You know, he leverages math as a stereotype, Asians being geeky, Asians being good at math to push forward his agenda. In a recent uh, article in the Washington Post, he completely erases the history of Asian Americans uh, having to advocate for themselves, being people who have always been asked to prove their Americanness. In this post where he tells Asian Americans, encouraging them to be more American, to be accepted in society during COVID-19. And just one quick look at history shows you that anyone who's a person of color, will never be able to offer enough Americanness to prove their validity. So oboliberalism, to me, encapsulates so much of this, this dichotomy of like visual representation and boba is enough for me. But how could it be? And and with Andrew Yang's statement, it was it was one thing to to cite Japanese Americans in the uh, in like the, how should we behave when we're under attack thing? And it's another thing to completely ignore the fact of Japanese internment. And then when they were called to serve their country, what were they being asked to do? They were being asked to go to war. They're being asked to fight against their home country. Uh, and a lot of them died. And so if that's what your idea of like serving your country is and like being a good American, what, what are we, what are we advancing? What are we celebrating? What are we fighting for? Uh, these are the questions that Boba liberalism, I think fails to ask. Mm-hmm. And boba liberalism really simplifies what it means to actually have equality and advancement in this country in which we all belong, right? Like it, what it indicates when you look into subtle Asian traits, this group that has over a million people in it, when we accept that, oh, it's enough that we have fun boba memes and YouTube videos about drinking bubble tea with our friends and it's a place where we can gather, like Accepting that as enough as a place in American society is basically what brings us back to the same recurring issues of like when COVID-19 happens, when a racist incident happens, we constantly hear these complaints of like, why, why do we not have more representation? Why aren't people not angrier? Why are people not standing up for the Asian community? Right. And the reason behind that is because we are satisfied with just boba. And that is in itself to me, the problem with boba liberalism. In the long run, it's throwing ourselves under the bus the same way Andrew Yang and his racist tropes about Asian Americans also throws us under the bus. You know, representation is only the first step. Representation in itself does not achieve anything. The same people who are celebrating all the representation around crazy rich Asians and hailing this as a huge moment are now in this moment saying like, oh, like their activism is like, please don't hate crime us. Mm-hmm. Like, don't like stand, stand up to hate that doesn't do anything to solve any of the structural problems in our society. It's not helping anyone really. It's not even helping us for us to go and in, go into society and cast ourselves as the victims. When, for instance, black people are getting killed by cops. That doesn't that doesn't do anything for anyone 
the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of like this kind of like false activism, this kind of false, like working within the system to try to improve things slowly while at the same time, not challenging anything about what it is that has led us to this point is to me, that's boba liberalism in a nutshell. And so in this episode, we'll go in a little bit deeper with uh, writer Jenny Jong, who is actually a staff writer over at Eater. And she wrote this incredible article unpacking boba liberalism and talking about how it's taken over what we see as representation, what we see as advancement. Um, and again, we recorded this episode before COVID-19 hit. So there's a lot that we were unpacking um, in this first episode with with Jenny. And, you know, there's a lot that is still left to discuss about Big Boba, how it's holding us back and what we can do to advance it. You know, as Asian Americans, we truly are more than just our food. I think we all know that. And yet, why do we make it so easy to just, to just rely on food for representation? I strongly believe that Asian Americans can do better. And I think that's why we wanted to put this episode out and establish this as the foundation in which we approach our storytelling. So today, let's get to the bottom of Big Boba on Plum Radio. How did Boba become the symbol for our culture and also our politics? What does our history tell us about how we got here? We'll go into the history of bubble tea, how today's media gave rise to the concept of boba liberalism, and how big boba might be holding us back. Joining us today is Jenny Zhang, a culture critic and writer over at Eater. My name is Jenny Zhang. Um, professionally, I go by Jenny G. Zhang. I'm a staff writer currently at Eater, which is a food and dining publication owned by Vox Media. Uh, but more broadly, beyond food, I'm interested in just writing and thinking about uh, culture. Amazing. And we're here because you wrote this amazing piece that I love uh, for Eater. Uh, the title is The Rise and Stall of the Boba Generation, mm -hmm. which I think is such a poignant name. Um, so maybe we can start there with the title. Sure. What is the Boba Generation? So the Boba Generation is just this like specific kind of cohort, I guess, around our age group, people, um, or I should say Asian Americans, often Chinese Americans, Taiwanese Americans, who are perhaps like second generation, their parents came here from um, outside the US, but they grew up here and just have this like really strong affinity with bubble tea or boba, as it's often called in these Asian American circles. Um, and it's just a thing that is not just a drink for this generation. It's it's something, it's like an icon. It's something to identify with. It's a sort of shared common language. And let's say our listener has never heard of boba. Mm -hmm. How would you describe it? It's this drink that is comprised of uh, milk tea, which is like the, the milk or dairy component with the tea component. And then most often like bubble tea or the, the bubbles, which are like tapioca pearls or tapioca bubbles. Um, and sometimes there'll be other toppings in it, like jellies or puddings or other things, but it's essentially at its most basic form, it's uh, milk tea plus tapioca pearls. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't realize that it's actually a very sweet drink. Think of it almost like, it's almost like a frappuccino, but without the coffee, it's a tea. Yeah. It's, it's um, I mean, you don't really want to look at like the, the calories or the nutritional count if like you're hardcore into dieting or something, because it's just, it's astonishing how much sugar it is. It really <laughs> is kind of, I think probably should be treated more like a, a dessert um, than sort of like an everyday decaf or something. 
Um, but yeah, and, and it originated in, um, I mean, it was popularized and kind of like originated in Taiwan, um, but now it's sort of like spread all over the, the Asian diaspora and um, even part of the the sort of like mainstream consumers in, in the U.S. and other countries um, enjoy drinking it as well. Why do you think boba has become such a mainstay for Asian American culture? Well, it's, um, I, I've heard a lot of different reasons. Um, one of the, I, I think one thing that a couple of people have told me when I'm interviewing them, just like young Asian Americans, they, they say they feel some affinity for it because it combines these things that they could think of as like disparate parts, like the Asian component, um, which they see as like tea, this American component they see of as like, um, the milk or dairy since traditionally a lot of, uh, people of Asian descent are lactose intolerant. Um, and then this kind of like fun tapioca pearl. Um, so a lot of people I, I talked to kind of mentioned this sort of symbolic affinity for it, where they feel like it kind of represents them in the way they feel caught in between or a combination, um, between these two different cultures that they grew up a part of. Um, but kind of more broadly, it's just a, it's a drink that, sort of came over from Taiwan um, in, you know, this wave of immigrants in the, the late 80s, early 90s. And then it just became a thing that young Taiwanese Americans and their their friends who are like Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, all these other members of the Asian diaspora. And they just grew up drinking these and going to boba cafes as like a, a Starbucks or like a hangout place. So it just becomes just like a very embedded part of our culture, I think, for a lot of people who grew up sort of steeped within this Asian American culture. And would you say it's something that's more noticeable in certain regions or certain diaspora groups? Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's pretty significantly a huge part of um, California, um, specifically a lot of Southern California or specifically San Gabriel Valley, which is where a lot of Taiwanese and Taiwanese American um, people live. And have lived for uh, a few decades, um, so it's it's pretty popular. But in general, any place with kind of a, a higher Asian American population, so you'll see it in a lot of like college towns, um, in places like New York uh, or San Francisco, or places where there are just like higher concentrations of this population. Did you feel like you grew up with a boba culture? You're from Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from Michigan. Um, I didn't, honestly, I really didn't feel like I grew up a part of boba culture until college. Um, so up until college, I kind of grew up in a suburban, uh, area of Detroit, uh, metropolitan Detroit. And the school I went to was not very Asian. I think I can count myself there. Like there were, there were like a handful of other Asian people in my grade, um, or people who I knew in my school so I didn't really feel like a, a very strong part of the Asian American community or boba community until college. Um, I went to school at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. So a very, you know, typical college town where there are a lot of Asian Americans. Um, there were like three or four bubble tea shops just like around campus that all these, all my friends, I mean, I knew would just go to all the time instead of going to like Starbucks or like, uh, Pete's or, or some other coffee place to be like, let's go get boba. Um, so when I started college, that's when I kind of really found myself seeking out this sort of community and culture um, since I hadn't had it before. Mm-hmm. It's great that you mentioned community because I'm thinking about, you know, how something that you brought up in your article is how boba serves as a space for community in place of us not really having one. 
So what do you think it means for us to now take boba to this, to this level that's beyond just food? Like what has it, how has it transcended just the food world? Yeah. Um, so it's not just something to drink. It's like the physical space, like people form this community there uh, physically. They rally to these places. They hang out in these places and exchange ideas and information in these uh, boba cafes or boba shops. Um, but it's also become this sort of um, symbol or icon, as I mentioned. Like you'll see a lot of kind of boba merch, like boba pins or stickers or like snapbacks or, or hoodies or totes or whatever. Um, just kind of like shorthand for like I'm part of this like young Asian American uh, community. I know this kind of culture. Like this is my, this is kind of proof of how I am part of this um, very particular boba generation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the signaling part is super interesting too. Like I grew up here in New York and even for us, I felt like boba culture was not that big. Perhaps mm -hmm. it was something that was, I, I find it so noticeable how West coast Asian culture mm -hmm. has developed so differently from East Coast Asian culture. And for me, I think part of that is, you know, on the West Coast, it seems like a lot of people's parents spoke English or they're multi-generational immigrants. Whereas here, I feel like more people's parents had just arrived, similar mm -hmm. to my parents, right? So what we're looking for in terms of like community and space often feels like, you know, for at least for East Coast Asians, I feel like we're less seeking out like boba spaces. And perhaps that's changing now with a different generation. Um, but it makes me wonder about like when we think about what boba means for Asian American culture now, even when we look at things as common as like subtle Asian traits, mm -hmm. you know, like such a big critique of subtle Asian traits, the meme group for people who have never heard of it. Um, a meme group that grew super popular has mm -hmm. now what, like over a million, over a million, well over yeah, a million, well over a million people who are in this group. And, you know, I, at first it was so exciting and now it's kind of become a love hate thing because the group mm -hmm. has mostly devolved into boba memes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it is like kind of funny seeing like the, the rise of that group. Um, I think it was started less than a year ago. So just the, like a staggering explosive growth. Um, to, yeah, now the point where, you know, it's getting this kind of like backlash or people who are becoming kind of sort of like meta aware of the kind of tropes um, and patterns get that get repeated in there all the time. Um, but yeah, it is very, if you just like look at the group, um, the, the top posts that you might come upon as you scroll through it are like boba memes or jokes about you know, your parents being a hard ass or wanting you to be like a, a doctor or a lawyer or something about piano lessons or like, um, you know, an Asian flush after you drink too much booze, um, something like that. So things that on the surface seem like very universal, a very universal experience that all of these members supposedly can identify with. Um, but I think it reveals a lot about the kinds of, you know, Asian American-ness or the particular slice of Asian American that gets sort of like overlaid on top of uh, what people mean when they see the, the Asian American experience in general. And the, these tropes that you brought up, you know, what, how, I, how I'm interpreting them is that so many of them seem to not take us too deep, right? They seem to be kind of superficial, like the the um, wanting your parents wanting you to be a doctor or mm -hmm. jokes about Asian flush or bubble tea, Right. And why is it that you think that our tropes are still so surface level and haven't gone anything deeper beyond, you know, what physically happens to us? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a question I am thinking about a lot my myself. Um, 
I think part of it is just sort of like the the waves of like younger Asian Americans or Asian diaspora who, you know, when they want to have some sort of feeling of community or connection to their culture, these are the things that are sort of easiest to grasp onto, right? They're, they are like maybe a bit superficial or surface level, as you said, but um, they're right there. People feel like they can identify them. They feel like they can make friends and speak this common language at them. So that's why it's so easy to latch onto them. Um, and it, where it gets a lot harder is, yeah, where you do want to move beyond these and think about like, okay, what does being Asian American mean to me beyond saying I love boba? Like, can we talk about, you know, colonialist histories or like how we interact with like other marginalized communities within the United States um, or like even the the kind of more serious issues that impact our communities that we don't talk about, like um, immigration or different poverty and education levels. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's very easy to latch onto these. They're fun. They're, um, they make you feel like a part of this in-group. Um, but at some point that my frustration has been at least like at some point, I, I, I love to see when people sort of, uh, move me on talking about these and, and get at other issues. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you find that you were facing some of these frustrations when you're doing your research for this Eater article? Um, yeah, I think that, or at least it was sort of a, a personal motivation um, in why I even wanted to pursue this topic. Um, just based on my own experience, like growing up as a young Asian American who myself, I think I when I first got interested in Asian American culture and identity, I also like really gravitated towards these uh, easier topics or tropes. Um, so that was part of the motivation for why I wanted to even do this story. Um, but when I was researching and sort of interviewing um, other Asian Americans, I, I tried to keep like a, a very open mind, um, especially coming from kind of, you know, a more journalistic or like a cultural critic point of view where you just you want to gather as much information as possible um, and not have to like shut down any avenues of, of communication or, or schools of thought because, you know, my personal feelings. Um, so it was really interesting to speak to a lot of these these younger Asian Americans, uh, many of whom I found through like subtle Asian traits or it, their offshoot groups, actually, um, and just kind of hear their experiences and be reminded of like, oh, yeah, I really felt those frustrations a lot when I was their age as well. Or um, I can understand where they're coming from. But now, like, where can we take the conversation? Like, where do we level up from here? When did you start to register that the boba memes and boba trend uh, might be problematic? Um. I would say maybe a, a couple of years ago or a year and a half ago, it started to really become a friend of mine, uh, maybe in part because of subtle Asian traits actually, and just like seeing its rise. And I mean, my, I had a, fr- I had friends who just like added me to the group. Um, and then I was suddenly part of this, like at the time it was maybe, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, but just suddenly part of this like huge digital community that feels like, I mean, the population, it could be like it's entire like small independent state or nation state by in and of itself. Um, and just seeing like at first it was exhilarating to see kind of what people were using to communicate with each other and feeling this sort of common tie. Um, but just spending longer, like uh, a longer time in there and just seeing the same variations um, just over and over again, repeating these themes and these uh, these ideas and thinking like, OK, is this like really all it's going to be like when you get a a room full of a ton of Asian Americans um, is the only thing we can talk about with each other, like boba and Korean barbecue. I love that you called it like a small nation state on the digital (laughs) space, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
in so many ways that seems so radical and revolutionary, right? And mm-hmm. the idea of there being a radical revolutionary gathering of Asian Americans, yet the foundation of it is bubble tea and these more superficial tropes, I think is what kind of makes this so devastating, mm-hmm. right? It's like, why, how have we gotten here that, you know, our foundation is not a little bit stronger or, you know, grounded in something that can really power a movement beyond um, what we eat or what we drink. Um, And so in your research, how have you found, like, why is it that Asian Americans gravitate so much to more food tropes and things that are um, food-related memes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I think a a common theme that came up is this just the, the sort of tangibility of, of food and, and drink and these things that we consume. Um, you know, they're there, you can purchase them, you can eat them. You, they're like physical things. Uh, and it's, it's kind of similar to how a lot of, um, immigrants or speaking in this case, in particular Asian immigrants or Chinese or Taiwanese immigrants, when they came over, like a lot of the, the pretty common jobs were to, uh, start cooking in restaurants. Um, or even now, like a lot of immigrants from China, they continue to, come in and enter this whole system of working in restaurants. Um, that's just like a really tangible skill you can do with your hands. And there is appetite for it in the American public. Um, people will welcome the food, even if they don't necessarily welcome the immigrants who made it. It makes me want more for Asian Americans in a lot of ways. I, as someone who has worked on a lot of, you know, food related, food and culture related stories, um, especially where the two intersect, including the series I did with AJ Plus was called um, Chinese Food and All-American Cuisine. Mm-hmm. Very much packaged to be about food, but when you actually watch these pieces, it's about three different communities and their histories. But even on the editorial side, and I would love to actually to hear about how you got your pitch through, because on the editorial side, I was trying to pitch three diaspora stories, and they're like, you need a different box for this gift. <laughs> you need a, you need to change the bow. You need to change the shape of this box and the delivery needs to be about food. Yeah. And as much as I hated having to do that, there was, it was almost not, there was like no choice. Mm-hmm. Right? They were like, this content is not consumable unless you deliver it as food content. Like people don't care about diasporas when you call it diaspora. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I initially had pitched it as, a story that looks at Chinese-American communities from three different perspectives, mm-hmm. rural, suburban, and urban. Mm. And it did end up being that way, but that wasn't that wasn't the angle that sold them. And since then, you know, I've really... I, I moved to Hong Kong and I launched this publication, Gold Thread, mm. and even there, I really tried to push us to graduate beyond food stories. Mm-hmm. And I want that so much for the Asian American community. But at the same time, I also understand the pressures of what's consumable, right? Right. And how do you grapple with this dilemma? Uh, That's a great question. Um, Maybe we can start with like, what was the response when you pitched this to Eater? Sure. Um, So I think I had kind of been floating this idea around for a little bit before I uh, maybe officially pitched it as an idea, as a story to to get assigned. Um, But I'm very lucky in that I think my my editors are pretty supportive. My main hook was like, okay, it's going to be about bubble tea and then side note, all this other stuff. And I think that is um, just a, a sort of 
mechanism or technique or, or trick that I have to use. Um, since I don't really consider myself like a, a food food writer, um, I'm interested in food insofar as what I can tell us about, you know, cultural things or like sociopolitical things, um, but not as much about like food as the consumable object itself. Um, so yeah, like having this idea of you like bubble tea plus, um, X, Y, Z diaspora, Asian American inks, et cetera, et cetera. That was sort of the pitch. Um, and it was very lucky that my editors were open to it. Um, and they were looking for like drinks pitches for like a kind of eater drinks, um, month or package. So that was sort of how it got through. Mm -hmm. Have you tried to explain boba liberalism to other people? Um, maybe a couple, a couple people. I think it's boba liberalism is kind of a, a newer term or a term that's a little bit under the radar, but it's very interesting that despite that, if you start talking about boba liberalism and you start describing what boba liberalism is, um, I think it becomes instantly recognizable to a lot of people within this community or who, who it speaks to. Um, so when I first read it, um, and I first saw it just like on, on Twitter, I think, um, for specifically from this, this Twitter user who goes by the name Redman or, um, his handle is diaspora underscore is underscore red. So diaspora is red. Um, so he's one of the earliest people I think to start really articulating what this idea is, which is this sort of specific strain of like mainstream liberal Asian American politics, um, or what we think about when we see, you know, the, the main photo of the day for Asian Americans is like, you know, getting crazy rich Asians to be like a box office hit or something like that. Or, um, this, the whole, the whole idea of sort of representation politics and everything that engenders. So it's, I think it's just really sort of like the, the more surface level ideas of, again, being what what in Asian American, um, means and just like the, the issues that we care about or fight about in today's, uh, mainstream political circles. It ignores really a lot of the, the sort of like larger systemic issues and the sort of intersections of our specific race and, um, like class or, or other races or marginalized identities. So it really, um, it gets to, I think, a lot of the, the frustrations that um, more left-leaning or like leftist sort of young Asian Americans feel. The concept of boba liberalism is almost like its own form of a bamboo ceiling. Mm -hmm. It limits the identity that society can perceive Asians to be. Think about that boba guys example where they had tweeted, I think it was during oh. one of the early debates, they had come up with a red, white, and blue drink. And they're like, who cares if you're red, white, or blue yeah. when you can have bubble tea? Yeah. So it's very sort of tied to um, the, this belief in sort of consumerism and capitalism. So it's like, who cares like what these deeper politics um, or deeper political issues are? Um, like it's empowering if I sell my drink to you and you give me uh, material like goods and, and cash in exchange for it. And that's how I build myself up and, you know, sort of tackle the, the concept of the American dream. Do you think this could be a dangerous thing for Asian Americans? If we sort of hew too closely to bubble liberalism or if we don't 
really kind of continue to uh, develop and evolve and learn more beyond it. I think that is a danger, but I think it is not great for us to to linger in the space and to not want to evolve beyond the space. Not not that that's like a foregone conclusion, um, but as with anything. I think if you want to sort of um, enlighten yourself a little bit more and strive for something a little bit more meaningful um, beyond just surface level tropes, people just need time to think more about these issues and to learn and develop. Or at least I, I hope that's the case. I really hope so, too. I really my hope for the Asian American community and one of the reasons why I stay making content and work and pieces about Asian Americans is because I know there's such a lack of information on our histories and our backgrounds, our countries of origin. And that's a big part of contributing to what creates boba liberalism. Like you mm-hmm. don't have anything else to hold on to if you don't know what it is that you're supposed to hold on to. Right. And I think that is like a a big underlying problem, um, which is that, you know, Asian Americans is a sort of like political class and the lack of Asian American uh, classes and sort of education um, or just like general like activism and advocacy. Asian Americans are made up of so many different groups of different countries of origin and socioeconomic backgrounds. It's very hard to sort of attain that level of education and knowledge of the history that comes before you and knowledge of what the issues are. Um, so it is very difficult, or I really hope that I guess we, we do move towards knowing a little bit more and being, being able to act a little bit more strategically with regards to politics in this country. Mm-hmm. What do you see as something that people can do to unpack or to address their own boba liberalism? For me personally, just as like a, someone who reads and writes for, I guess, a, a living Um, I've been trying to read a lot more, um, I guess, like literature or brush up on like my history. Um, Unfortunately, now looking back at like my college days, I really wish I had taken more, uh, more any sort of like Asian American, Pacific Islander American classes to just establish that, that, that foundation of like what our history in this country has been, um, like how have we come together in the past before to struggle for um, different rights and different issues. Like there there are entire chunks of history that I'm still sort of missing um, that I only know vaguely um, all the great activists who have come before and who have worked with different marginalized groups. Um, Like like Asian Americans have a long history of um, working with like Black Panthers and like um, Black communities. And it's, it's a huge chunk that's missing. Yeah. You know, even growing up here, I feel like I didn't get much exposure to Asian or Asian American history. And it wasn't until I moved to the Bay Area where I feel like a lot of these grassroots movements started. Mm-hmm. My hope is to be able to get some of these histories out there and, you know, thinking about ways in which we can go a little bit deeper. And the roots are there, you know, the mm-hmm. roots are so deep and the roots of boba are so not right. Like it's it's not that it's not good and amazing in a place where people can gather, but it's also just relatively new as mm-hmm. something that's part of Asian culture. So my hope really is, you know, by talking about something like boba liberalism, we can begin to ask 
where can we go from here? How can we get a little bit deeper? Yeah. Um, and I think the, the optimistic point of view would be, you know, hoping that the people who find themselves, you know, talking about Asian American identity primarily through Boba or these other sort of um, surface level icons, that is maybe just like a way in the door for them. Like hopefully from here, they they feel some connection. They want to learn more. They want to become more politically active. Um, and so that that is sort of the optimistic point of view. And, and if that's the case, like, like, sure, let's get more people drinking boba, like at this top of the funnel. Um, but I, I'm not sure if it is, and I hope it is, but it's it's hard to tell yet. Absolutely. And step two is to read Jenny Zhang's article <laughs> on Eater and get more woke. <laughs> sure, sure. I'll take it. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you for all of your insight. And will you just tell us uh, how people can find you on Twitter or Instagram, whatever you prefer? Yeah, so I'm on both those platforms, Twitter and Instagram, um, although I'm more active on Twitter under the handle Jenny G. Zhang. And my last name is Z-H-A-N-G. Um, otherwise, you can read my work on Eater um, or check out my social handles or my website to just find out other things I've been writing. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. I know this topic of dismantling big boba, dismantling boba liberalism is a huge undertaking. You know, I know it's not going to be overnight where we're going to convince all Asian Americans to overthrow boba. That's not what we're saying here. You know, you can still sip your tea, but also take some tea. Here at Plum Radio, we really want to tell our stories with a little bit of sweet and sour. There's no there's no way to push forward and to see us progress as a community without unpacking some of the things that we hold near and dear. So do we really want Asian American representation to just come down to our food and drinks? Do we want it to just be boba? Is drinking bubble tea enough representation for our community? No. <laughs> the answer is no. There's there's so much more that we have in common besides just bubble tea. It's an easy thing to latch onto. It's a sweet treat, right? But it's also not it's not the main course of any meal. I absolutely uh, can respect a line of thought that says life is short, eat dessert first. But so we're having our dessert. But now what's next? But now we're what now, is we're, next? now that we've had and dessert. And in the same way that you know, I believe so much in the power of our Asian American community. History tells us that we have been organizing as immigrants, as a people, and also in solidarity with people of color for so long. And that's why I want to have this conversation because I know and believe that we can do better. I know and believe that we can find greater meaning to our existence and identity than boba. And so it's okay if you love boba, but thinking about what rep representation looks like for us in the future, let's go beyond boba. Let's graduate from boba liberalism and get to a new place where we are not simplified by just the sugar and tea and milk that we can contribute to a conversation. We have so much more to bring to the table and that's what's exciting about what comes next. 
This was our very first episode that we recorded for Plum Radio. And, you know, we're really glad that you guys are giving this a listen to kind of hear about the origins of how we dreamt up this publication. Um, And thank you again for supporting us on Patreon. And if you love this episode and think that other people should hear it too, we'd love if you forward it on, you know, keep it in the circle. But if you think there's someone else that would enjoy this, let them know. Let's keep the conversation going and tell us what you want to see next on bonus episodes of Plum Radio. Send us an email at listen to Plum Radio at gmail.com. Please send us any comments, suggestions, improvements. No Boba uh, memes, I'll try you guys. To keep that one Do not minimum. send us anything uh, Boba related. <laughs> <laughs> no Boba memes. Um, <laughs> unless, unless they're really it's an good. Act of I'm protest. just kidding. <laughs> So thanks to Jenny for joining us for this conversation. Uh, you can find her piece on Eater titled The Rise and Stall of the Boba Generation, How Bubble Tea Became Far More Than Just a Drink to Young Asian Americans. Uh, and big thanks to Jenny for uh, being our very first guest on Plum Radio. And we'll we'll catch you guys. We'll catch you guys soon on Sunday for another episode of Plum Radio on Instagram Live. Coming at you every Sunday and just a little sneak peek for our Patreon supporters. We're going to look into doing some episodes later in the night, a late night show at 9 p.m. so that we can get some guests from Asia to come onto the show, because I know so many of us have questions about what's happening in Asia. And it turns out 4 a.m. is just not a good time to talk to us. So stay in touch, stay in the loop, and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. See you next time.